0: Good morning everybody. Welcome. This morning we're going to continue as we would in our normal study of Hebrews and on our way to our main text today, we're going to take a bit of a journey back to the Old Testament. So if you have a Bible handy, I would love for you to come back with me to Exodus chapter 15:16, right in that area, and uh, we'll get ourselves going this morning. You see my my title for the morning Unbelief is to the soul what cancer is to the body. And I realize that that uh, that has a bite to it. Many of us uh, have either ourselves or those near to us who have been affected by cancer in some way or another. And uh, certainly discomfort and maybe deadly. But I chose the analogy on purpose. Because even as cancer can injure your soul or take your life so unbelief is to the to the soul indeed what cancer is to the body and I'd like you to think about that that connection here as we go today but um, with our bibles open your study notes in front of you I trust those are available on our website if you've not found those you can you can go to our website and found find our our sermon notes and community group notes and uh, make use of those would you pray with me please as we come to our time in God's word Our Father, how good it is, uh, whether the sun is shining or the snow is falling, to open the word of God with God's people and here to be fed and encouraged and challenged and even as needed rebuked. Uh, Thank you that you meet us in the preaching of your word and it is our hope and desire each of us that we would be open to the work of the spirit of God in us. Father, give us ears to hear, hearts to love your truth and to love you and to respond with joy. So we, we welcome you, oh Father, by the work of the Spirit of God, to use this time for our good. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. On your study notes, of course, there are a few words of review. Um, if you have missed a week or two or just joining us maybe for the first time, it'll give you some sense of what we're doing on our way through the book of Hebrews uh, over the months ahead. It'll take us till September, so you can get used to finding your way to that text. A little paragraph about the, the text that we're going to get to in Hebrews in a moment. We'll comment on when we get there. But if you notice on your on your, your sermon study sheet there, I have a section called The Backstory. And given the text we're going to come to in Hebrews, I thought it would be very good to go to the original text, uh, upon which the writer in Hebrews 3 is building the case. So if you come to the Old Testament, uh, Exodus uh, 16, really, uh, I hope you're familiar with this. If not, we'll try to keep you up to speed here just a little bit. I know that there are some details of this that you'll know at least... Um, I, I, I expect, um, uh, when you get to Exodus 15, you have a wonderful song and that's the, the, the song of triumph. We call it the song of Moses and it's right after the Red Sea moment. Okay. God has delivered his people through the 10 plagues. They've come out of Egypt and then crossed the Red Sea as God opened it before them. And, you know, sometimes we learn from people from their good, good habits, their good example. This isn't one of those. Okay? It's the other way. We're going to learn from terrible behavior, unbelievably bad behavior. You're kidding me type stuff. Uh, you would think that coming out of Egypt and the 10 plagues and the parting of the Red Sea, that if anybody would have been God hungry and God celebrating at this moment, it would have been this crowd. But unfortunately, as you, as you look at chapter 15, and I'm, I'm looking at verse 22, they set out from the Red Sea. They went three days in the wilderness, no water, and the complaining begins. Three days. Now, how long can you behave, really? Uh, can you do better than three days? Well, I, I realize three days is a very long time, not to complain about anything. Uh, three hours, uh, three minutes, I don't know. We, we are habitual Complainers, dare 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 we admit that? Uh, we quickly find what isn't right and call it out. We we say, oh, "I'm not complaining. I'm just commenting." We say, "I'm just noticing that wasn't very good, or very warm, or very smooth, or the paint wasn't really well done. Whatever it is, we're going to comment on. We're just noticing. Well, in this case, there's no water, and it's worthy of a significant complaint. But you come to chapter sixteen and boy, we're we're moving on again. It's like a camping trip that's just not working out well. But there's a lot of people here, of course. It's a very large crowd. So, uh, you know, camp stove and a a little cooler full of food isn't going to do it. Well, Exodus 16 then, verse 1, says, they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, uh, I think appropriately named, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month You see it's spelled out. The 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. I think that's very specifically mentioned uh, for us. Uh, It's not been long. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And then verse 4, God says, okay, let's do the manna. That's what's coming. Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather it, and away you go with the instruction on on manna. Now, that's Exodus. I'm going to have us turn over to Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. You remember that I mentioned last week the, the great value that every Christian should have for the Old Testament? Uh, It should be part of your regular Bible reading, and you should should study it and read it with an open heart and open mind, because you will find uh, good truth and uh, fingerprints of Christ all over it. You come to Numbers 11. Now, we're uh, a little further in at this point. By the time we get to Numbers 11, we've been to Mount Sinai, Ten Commandments. Some other months have gone by, but not that long, really. In chapter 11, here we go again. I'm looking for the pattern. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their, mis- their misfortunes. Wow. And the Lord heard it. His anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned. Man, he's, this isn't going well. Verse four, skipping down here. Then the rabble who was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel wept again, saying, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Isn't this great? I know, you're getting hungry right now, already planning where you're going to go for, for lunch a little later. Uh, but now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. I can just imagine them spitting that out of their mouth, not the manna, but the word. There's nothing to look at but this, this, this manna. Okay, now it's very easy for us to look at these people and say, what in the world is wrong? I mean, honestly, the plagues of Egypt aren't that much in the rearview mirror. It kind of just happened. The amazing deliverance of God. Uh, But somehow or another, uh, the amazing deliverance of God has faded into the rearview mirror for sure, and all we can see now is what we don't have. Uh, I I have mentioned in other settings how much I identify with this uh, in a very small way from backpack trips. You know, it takes you about two hours away from the vehicle before you say, did anybody bring... Fill in the blank here. And things that you never thought you wanted, suddenly you want. Um, I actually, you know, periodically will have fun with this. You know, two hours in, you say, anybody bring peanut M&Ms? And until you say it, nobody wants it. And then immediately there's this craving for whatever it is. Did anybody bring? It's kind of a fun game to play. Uh, As long as you can handle it yourself. God's blessing so quickly forgotten. God's provision, his mercy. What is the manna? Well, I don't mean the little piece of bread. I know that part. It's God's provision for today. I know it's a little Spartan. It's not full of, what's the little, uh, the, yeah, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. It's it's enough though, isn't it? It's enough. And I have a little phrase there on your sermon notes that I interpret this behavior to mean, and that is, what God has provided is not good enough. You ever been infected with this? Yeah, me too. This is a very human thing. What God has provided is not good enough. Uh, I think that's a kind of a disease that sits right at the edge of your soul, waiting for you to open the door just a little bit. What God has provided is not good enough. Now, continue on just a little bit here. We're heading toward our, our main text in Hebrews, I promise. In Numbers, same book, of course, 13, you have the story of the sending the spies into the promised land. They've, they've gotten all the way to the edge. They've sent these uh, 12 spies in to take a look at things and scout it out and figure out the you know is it good or not? Is it going to be a good place to go? Should we send in the army and, and, and move in? Is that what should happen? And so the, the, the spies go in, and of course, as you recall, perhaps if you went to Sunday school that day, 10 said no, 2 said yes, or went to uh, uh, walk through the Bible. Some of you did that. Uh, 12 spies, 10 said no, 2 said yes. God said go, uh, indeed, yes. Chapter 14 of Numbers then kind of has the response of this Numbers 14, 1 through 4. The promised land looked great, but 10 of the spices, there's no way. The, the people who live there are too big. The, the, the fruit of the land, wonderful but their armies are too strong. Now, chapter 14 then, then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night and all the people grumbled against the leaders. That would be Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader And go back to Egypt, back to slavery. Can you imagine, back to slavery? Be better to be slaves and have good food than to be out here and have nothing. Um, And I have summarized this, as you see, with a different phrase. Not only has is was it being said that what God has provided is not good enough, but what God has promised, He cannot deliver. That, I think, is what's taking place here. God has given them a promise of a promised land, a wonderful place to be, and what God has promised, he cannot deliver. That's what's going on here. God made promises, and I don't think he'll keep them. Um, and may I say, that that little disease is right at the edge of your soul, too. What God has promised, he can't deliver. God said he would do this, and I'm just not sure he can. Or, I'm not sure He will. I'm not sure he will. Well, these, these are diseases of the soul, I would suggest. Numbers 14, 26 to 35, God's response of judgment. If you're following on my, my sermon notes then, not only do you see God's response of judgment, they're gonna die in the wilderness. He says, you don't believe I'll take you in. You guys get to circle the mountain. basically for the next 40 years until those of you who don't believe me can just stay right here permanently because you're gonna die and the next generation can move in. But I want to move to Psalm 95. If you journey with me, we're heading the right direction, aren't we? Heading toward uh, the book of Hebrews, indeed. But I want to go to Psalm 95. We read this often because it's a wonderful psalm of worship, but it has a warning section in it that's built on those two uh, portions in the Old Testament that we have just looked at and the surrounding texts there. Psalm 95, of course, begins with that great call to come and praise the Lord. Come, sing to the Lord. Let's make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Then you come down to verse 6, and I'll read through the end of the chapter, but I want you to see the call accompanied by a warning. It's very similar to what happens in the book of Hebrews repeatedly. So then, verse 6, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So there's an exhortation and a call. And here's the warning. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah. And we'll see later the rebellion. It's a place, it's a location. The rebellion is how it's translated later on. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, well, indeed, the plagues of Egypt, God's great deliverance, they saw my work for 40 years, God says, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Wow, what a warning. Now, that's the divine commentary on Exodus and Numbers. Now, if you'd come with me to Hebrews, our main text. Okay, I think we're ready. Hebrews chapter three, where all of that is the backdrop. It would be like scene one. And the writer of Hebrews is assuming that that information is right at the tip of your brain. So Hebrews, Hebrews three then, seven through 19 and I want to, I want to read these, uh, that, that, that section. I want to comment under two different headings, as you see on your sermon notes. And I will quickly tell you that as we read, this is connected with verse 6, last week's text, okay? And so you see that connection. And as you have on your sermon notes, I am going to begin reading at 3-1, though our main text is really picking it up at verse 7. I want you to see the flow of the text. Okay, all of chapter three then as we read Hebrews chapter three. We read this. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed, if indeed, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And there you remember uh, a warning if indeed we do this. Therefore, As the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, here's an exhortation. Take care. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Verse 14, very similar to verse 6. As it is said Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion for... Now, watch the parallelism. There are three sets of two, like a question and answer, okay? There's a pattern here. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Well, was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief, unbelief, unbelief. So I say to us, unbelief is to the soul what cancer is to the body, beware, beware of unbelief. And specifically in this text, unbelief in the goodness of God, unbelief in the sufficiency of God. Those are the two fill-ins there in that one little paragraph, God's sufficiency and God's goodness. So the two headings that uh, would uh, bear comment here, uh, watch out, we too are vulnerable. We have talked our way through verses seven through 11, really, already. But verse 12 then, watch out, beware, take care. Your translations say that different, differently from one another. See to it, be careful. Watch out here, brothers. We too are vulnerable. Uh, Beware and exhort are the two central commands in this text, verses 12 and verse 13. Uh, The the text really hinges around those two. So the warning, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. I note here on your sermon notes, the, the heart condition of unbelief is called evil and unbelieving. Can you imagine? Evil. Can it be evil to doubt the goodness and sufficiency of God? Well, yes, is the answer. Yes. An evil, unbelieving heart. So the writer is saying, beware of this and he's writing to God's people. He's not, this isn't a sermon preached at a, you know, a Billy Graham crusade to people who don't know Christ. This is written to God's people. Beware, people of God, lest you not believe in the goodness and the sufficiency of God. Beware. Watch out. Take care. See to it that this does not overtake your soul. It resulted in a falling away like the warning in chapter 2, 1 to 3, as we have seen. Chapter 2, in verse 1, of course, that drifting. Beware lest you drift. And you could quickly say that the text we looked at in the Old Testament, there's a drifting, there's a falling away, and it all stems from, from a unbelief in the sufficiency and the goodness of God. I don't believe that what God has provided is good enough, and I do not believe that what God has promised is enough including, may I say, strength for today. I don't believe he's going to do it. And that's called unbelief. Oh, beware, beware. Now, in reading Hebrews, there are warnings throughout. We have commented on that and will again. We're going to come to some extended texts in the coming weeks that are warnings. They are warnings to be taken seriously. Inevitably, in the study of such texts, there are those who say, "Wait a minute! Is this saying I could be born again, truly born again by the Spirit of God, and then lost? Is that what this is teaching?" And I'm aware of theology enough to know that there are people who who look at texts a little differently. Um, uh, among the reasons why I cannot well, there's a lot of reasons why I'm not going to I'm not going to go into a full blown discussion of that today. Not the least of which is we're going to in the weeks ahead, um, but. I, I I am not of that persuasion. I do not believe that a person can be genuinely, truly born again by the Spirit of God and someday lost. I just don't believe that. I think the Bible is very clear the security of the believer that He has you in His hands. In fact, as I have here in front of you, there's a quick there's a quick explanation that I think fits for today, uh, with a promise of a of a larger discussion of that in the weeks ahead. Is this a falling away from being truly born again? And I'm answering no. It is a falling away that reveals a never regenerated heart. I believe that. Okay? Uh, In three, one, yes, and so on, the writer calls them partakers of a heavenly calling. He's describing them as true believers, and I think he's calling them to demonstrate that their faith is true by holding on to Christ. And I reference at the end of that paragraph, 1 John 2.19, which is a text about those uh, others in that setting with John who are leaving the faith, and he says in 1 John 2.19, you should look it up and look at the extended paragraph, but he says in that verse, he says, they went out from us, but they they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out in order that it would be shown or evident that they are not of us. So he is describing, John is describing people who were in the church and they went out, they left, they, they committed apostasy. And John says they went out so that it'd be evident that they were never of us to begin with. They were never truly regenerated, which by the way, should give you pause all of us, going to church, you know this, going to church does not make you a follower of Jesus. It does not make you saved. It does not make you part of the family of God going to church alone. It's, it's that interaction of faith between your heart and the living God, trusting Christ as your savior from sin, trusting Christ alone, Christ who died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead, your sin bearer. Church isn't it. It's not reading the Bible. It's not even those wonderful acts of faith Spiritual disciplines won't save your soul. Christ alone will. Your response of faith to the grace and the mercy of God. So get it right, people. Going to church, carrying a big Bible, memorizing all kinds of scripture, wonderful things to do, uh, but they will not save your soul. Christ alone, Christ alone. By grace, through faith, only Christ can save your soul. So it's possible to hang out with the family of God, look like you know, a, a person who's part of the family, and at the end of the day, have it be very clear that you didn't know him. Oh, let it not be said of you. Let that not be you. Let that not be you. So it's a call here to persevere so that the genuineness of faith, I believe, would be, would surface. So verse verse 12 then is a warning. I hope you hear it. I hope you hear the warning. Beware lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, lest you doubt the sufficiency and goodness of God. Now, verse 13 then, 13 to 19, I have in that second section as, in a sense, the antidote to that. So the warning in verse 12, the background in 7 through 11, but verses 13 and what follows is, is, a, is a call to the people of God. Think plural here. Family of God, the use are plural, but exhort one another every day. As long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So I have on your study notes here, encourage one another. We too could despise God's blessings. We too could be those who doubt the goodness and sufficiency of God. We too could be those who look at the wonderful gifts of God in redeeming us. Old Testament, looking at God's first redemptive event uh, in the Exodus, that first big uh, event around which the Old Testament really is built, foreshadowing the the, the greater redemptive event in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, We too, having seen that kind of great deliverance, could turn aside or despise it. Don't. Don't do that. Don't do that. So I ask here: Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my sister's keeper? Well, in short, the answer is, to some degree, yes, you are. Does that make you culpable for the sins of another? Oh, wait! Before you say no too quickly, uh, no, I think. But 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 wait. Are we not responsible in some measure for one another? Yes, I I hate to use the term culpable, but oh, dear friends, the one another's in the New Testament are serious and repeated. Uh, To read the New Testament is to see the community aspect of faith uh, played very, very loudly. We, we in America are individualists. We love it that way. We are rugged individualists. We, 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 you know, the old days of the front porch of the house where you live in community, even on your street. Most of us don't do that anymore. I've seen the contrast between the, you know, some of the older neighborhoods with the houses and the rocking chairs on the front porch and it, the modern neighborhood. What's the most prominent feature if you look down the street of a modern neighborhood? Yes, the garage. It's the garage. You can see a row of garages, so people come home, the garage door goes up, the car goes in, the garage door shuts. you never see them as compared to the old days when you sat on the front porch and the kids are out playing, and Grandma Jones and grandma so and so and so and so and so and sitting on their front porch watch watching all the kids going, "Now you stop it down there, uh-huh, a little community community going on, oh no, 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 don't you tell my kid not to throw rocks at the birds well. Back in the day, they would have uh, They'd told them to knock it off and kept track of all the little kids in the neighborhood. Yes, they did. Was it always great? I don't mean that. I'm just, I'm just saying, in the family of God, there is a, there's a responsibility for one another. And so here, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And I don't think we do much of this. I think it's a verse to be taken seriously by the American church. Um, as I have it here on your sermon notes, the encouragement, I call it exhortation. I want to I separate out without spending too much time nuancing the terms. Sometimes in encouragement, we think of things like um, cheer up or hang in there. Those are good. Those are nice. Exhortation is a little more than that. It's got you know, it assumes that there's relationship it's a call to, to to strength and a call to truth. Uh, it's more than saying, how about those mariners? I'm not sure, that, I mean, that might encourage me because we talked, but it doesn't do much for my soul. The encouragement of the exhortation called for is described as regular urgently needed and having enormous consequences. One of the reasons I'm such a fan of relationship building things, whether it's community groups or other activities that pull people together and hopefully it's up to us on some level to build relationships that go beyond the surface so that you can encourage someone's soul uh, on that level. Um, Wow. Let the ancient nation of Israel... Wow, like the ancient nation of Israel, verse 16, we've been recipients of God's rich blessing. Indeed, we have. Now, I want to look back to the text here with you. Verse 14, as I said, is very similar to verse 6 in its substance. In both cases, there's a warning. If we hold our original confidence firm to the end, um, that follows on the heels of the exhortation to us in verse 13 to care for one another. And then the repetition from verse 7, based on Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then, as I mentioned in reading, verses 16 to 18, uh, it's like a question and answer. It's using a certain type of teaching based on question and answer, almost like a catechism. Uh, A lot of learning takes place that way. So it's almost like a quiz in Sunday school. By the way, who were those people who heard and yet rebelled? Who were they now? Just remind me. That's what's going on here. Oh, wasn't it those who left Egypt led by Moses? Well, it's not because he forgot. He's saying, that's right. It was those people who saw the the plagues. They saw the power of God. That's who it was. So it isn't that he's forgetting here. He's wanting you to recall. Who, Who was it, by the way, who heard and yet rebelled? That's right. It's people who should have known. People who saw the hand of God and within days were grumbling and complaining. Within days they opened the door to those threats to their soul. That's who it was, that's right. Verse 17, with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Who was that? Let me just think, he says. I wonder who that was. Huh, oh, that's right. Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? There's the consequence of unbelief. Is it any wonder that I would say unbelief is to the soul what cancer is to the body? Yeah, in the worst cases, it'll kill you. And that's what happened to that generation in the wilderness. They'd seen the blessing of God. Their hearts were not moved. Their hearts were not changed. I put them in the camp of unregenerate, if you will. New Testament, Old Testament, I do understand the differences. Their bodies fell in the wilderness. They God gave them a consequence of, of their unbelief. And then verse 18, uh, who was it now? To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? Oh, that's right. It's those who were disobedient. How were they disobedient? Their disobedience, listen, it wasn't like they went out and stole things from grocery stores. Their disobedience was a disobedience, failure to believe. Failure to believe in the goodness and sufficiency of God. That was their disobedience. You quickly say, well, I'm not, like, I'm not that bad. I'm, not this, you know, I'm doing all these terrible things. No, no, that's, that's not even in the text. It's failure to believe. That's the grave sin here. Failure to believe in the goodness and sufficiency of God. Wow. And then verse 19, the big conclusion. So we see that they were unable to enter, that is the promised land, ultimately to be saved, if you will, because of unbelief. So I say unbelief is to the soul what cancer is to the body. This is a sobering text. And if you feel the weightiness of it, it means you paid attention. Okay? If you walk out whistling, uh, you might not have really heard the text. You can whistle if you like when you leave, but make sure you hear the text, all right? I have a summary paragraph here and then a couple of uh, comments under response. We together as a believing community must hold fast to Christ. We must. We must hold fast to Christ. We must beware of unbelief, of believing that what God has provided is not enough or that what God has promised he cannot deliver. And to do that, we must exhort one another with diligence to trust Christ and to keep on trusting him no matter what life or this world or Satan can throw at us. This we must do so that we will joyfully endure in the cause of Christ. Listen, friend, this is your responsibility in the body of Christ as it is mine It is not simply the task of leaders. It is your responsibility. If you call this church family your church home, this is a call to us. Exhort one another daily. Encourage people's faith. Be one who says, hang in there. Don't give up. Trust God. Who is to say this to one another? We, we are to say this. Now, that demands connectedness. those things come best from a friend rather than saying, excuse me, and what was your name again? These come best from friends whose friendship has been built over time. But let us not be people of trivialities. Life is too serious for that. There are moments when somebody has to come alongside and say, please, listen, I was reminded of it again this week. Behind how many smiles... Are there tears? The answer is a lot. A lot. A lot. So we, we must be to one another those who call forth faith, courage, hope in the living God. That's a call to this church. Exhort one another daily. Well, it is still called today, lest any one of us be hardened. The deceitfulness of sin. Under that little section called Responding to God's Word, I, I took exactly the same two from last week. They fit with this text too. How do you do this? And it's a reminder to us all. So I would urge you to read those and think what things are you doing to guard your own soul against unbelief? And what are you doing to help those in your circle of influence? to hold on to christ what are you doing well i think i think we would do why be wise to pay heed to this next week we'll come to this section in chapter 4 verses 1 through 13 where we were going to look at the rest that god gives oh man we'll address some things about sabbath old testament new testament all kinds of things about rest um then we'll all go home and take a nap, I think is what we'll do next week. But good, good text on on God's plan for us. Would you stand with me? And uh, let's let's conclude our time here in prayer. Our Father and our God, how we thank you for this section of Scripture. Yes, indeed, sobering, because it is built on a, a sobering reality in the Old Testament of a whole group of people, a whole generation who did not uh, continue in faith but gave in to unbelief, doubted you, evidencing unregenerate hearts. And Our Father, I pray for us that we would be those who encourage and exhort, that we would not live simply in a world of trivialities, but that with those especially close to us that we would figure out ways to say, dear friend, my friend, hold on to Christ. We'd figure out ways to say that that fits our personality and our mindset and our skill set. Help us, oh God, to hold up each other's hands as Aaron and her held up Moses' hands. Call forth faith from one another in these days. Oh, how we need this. So, Father, we thank you for this day. Those who gathered here in person, uh, many others joining us on live stream around the world. Thank you, our Father, for each of them. Thank you for caring for us, whatever our need, where there is a mindfulness of of a special need today, a family need or a personal need. Oh, God, would you be very near to those whose hearts are crying out to you right now. We trust you. We love you. Oh, God, keep our hearts. Keep us in faith. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week. And we will see you very, very soon.